Some years ago, this young man in a Bible study that I was attending confessed to the group that for most of his earlier Christian life, he questioned whether or not anyone outside of the Baptist church could truly be a Christian. He had grown up attending his local Baptist church. He gave his life to Christ there in the church as a teenager, and he faithfully attended youth group activities and all the many other Christian activities. And he said that all that he knew about other denominations was what he heard from his youth leaders and his friends, and not much of that was very good. He confessed to us, though, that he was delighted in getting to know us and seeing our witness and our testimony by our witness, we confirmed to him that, yes, there were Christians outside of the Baptist church. Now, I do fear that that young man's story is a common one. Members within their own denominations, Presbyterian, Methodist, Church of God, Church of Christ, and on and on, often seem to question the salvation of members of other churches. Now, because you and I are able to regularly observe the witness and the testimony and the behaviors of each other in this church, we're confident that, yes, we each are truly saved. But again, we sometimes have questions about those other folks out there in some of those other churches. We hear things about them, and we wonder. And as we'll read here in our scripture passage in Luke chapter 9, the same skepticism was found within the hearts of these intimate disciples of the Lord Jesus. But with just a few words, Jesus was able to give the simplest of answers to their lack of understanding. Listen and follow along, if you will, as I read Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 49. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 49. Master, said John, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Jesus said, do not stop him, for whoever is not against you is for you. One of the delightful but difficult truths that continually comes to me as I read and pray through these scriptures is that God's Word will reveal to me many things about myself that would otherwise remain hidden. And I would recommend that you have a daily Bible reading so that God can do that in your heart and mind. That He can reveal you to yourself. Things about you that otherwise would remain hidden. As with these words in our scripture text for today, in studying them, I'm convinced that although I openly voice how I believe that our God is mighty and powerful and far-reaching in His plans and purposes for us, within the privacy of my own mind, I fear that I actually take a much more narrow view of His providential involvement in people's lives and in the lives of churches, especially as it would relate to matters of Christian belief. And I do fear that the same failure may be true in some of your minds. In particular, though we might not say it openly, we believe in our heart that the specific doctrinal 
beliefs that we ourselves have come to accept and hold to are really the only real, true, and correct ones. That's why we believe them. That's why we hold to their tenets. We believe that what we believe is the correct beliefs and that everyone else really ought to believe the way that we believe. Most often, our beliefs are simply those that we grew up with. The doctrinal tenets that were preached in the church that our mothers and our fathers took us to as children. The doctrines taught to us in our home, also perhaps in Sunday school classes and other type of Christian involvements. We're Baptists or we're Methodists or Presbyterians or Charismatic because our mother and our father believed those doctrines. And because we trusted them for all those other matters of life, we also trusted them for our choice of churches and doctrinal beliefs. Now, with some of us who might not have had Christian parents to take us to church, our steps might have followed some other path. Perhaps it was when we got married. Our husband or our wife convinced us to attend their church, and we did. Perhaps it was moving into a new community with a new job, and because the only church that was near where we lived was a Baptist church, we became Baptists or Methodists or Presbyterian. Whatever the causes that brought us to where we are today, we believe what we believe and very honestly have become, to some degree, narrow-minded towards all those other denominations and their beliefs. My own experience with Christianity began when I was just a small child, as I've shared with you on other occasions. I was not a real believer in those days, not until I was 29 years old. But along the way, I heard and experienced a variety of different beliefs and doctrines and theology. As I've mentioned, my mom attended a Pentecostal church. My uncle would take us to a Baptist church. I finally received Christ as my Savior and Lord in a Presbyterian church. And each of those churches had and preached their own special understanding of exactly what the words of these scriptures are telling us to believe. And although I now have some settled understandings on specific doctrinal beliefs, many of those other teachings and understandings that I picked up along the way remain with me, and they make up a very important part of what I've come to accept in my relationship with Christ. The question that's being presented to us here in these few words between Jesus in this exchange, between Jesus and his disciples is this. Is there one and only one specific doctrine, one specific theology, one specific belief that is exactly right and all the others wrong? The disciples seem to believe that to be true. And it prompted them to forbid this man outside of their small group to continue his ministry of casting out those demons in Jesus' name. And again, it seems that the same kind of response might sometimes take place with you and me as we view other Christians that are not of our own fold. Now the question again, is there one and only one specific doctrine, one specific theology, one specific belief that is exactly right, 
and all the others wrong. Now granted, our Christian beliefs must be based solely upon the truths that are given within this Bible. But unfortunately, each of our minds does seem to be able to read these truths and somehow come up with a slightly different interpretation of their meaning from what some other person that's reading those very same words might believe. Now again, the question. Is there one and only one specific doctrine, one specific theology, one specific belief that is exactly right and then all the others wrong? Is there one denomination that holds to and preaches the one and only perfect way of Christ while all the others are confused or else wrong altogether? Or is it possible that the real truth of God is to be found in a mixture of those many doctrines and beliefs that make up the real church, a church that extends out past the physical walls of buildings and even on past denominational lines that separate us, out into that invisible universal church, a church that resides within the hearts and the souls of people who love and serve the person of Jesus Christ. In the Apostles' Creed, we declare that we believe that there is such a church, such a universal church. We call it the Holy Catholic Church. The word Catholic there does not mean the Roman Catholic Church, but rather means the widespread universal body of believers throughout the whole world who believe and hold to a certain basic group of tenets of belief in the gospel, irrespective of the denominational church that they attend. And again, though we do quote these words of the Apostles' Creed each Sunday morning, do we really believe them? Do we believe each of these tenets of Scripture that are given here? I'm going to read these for us again. These are basic biblical truths that are universal and they come straight out of Scripture. And so they really should be believed by all believers. Listen to these words again. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. These are simple, basic truths that really must be believed by all Christians, no matter what their denominational preference is, no matter what church they attend. And that is the essential message that Jesus was conveying to his disciples when John asked him those words, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. 
If this incident were to take place in one of our churches today, we might hear, Pastor, we saw a man over in the Baptist church or the Methodist church or the Church of God or one of the other churches who was preaching repentance and salvation and we got up and left in the middle of the message because he's not Presbyterian like us. Here in this passage, Jesus rebuked his disciples and he said, do not forbid him for he who is not against us is for us. Do not forbid him for he who is not against us is for us. Now question, does this rebuke from Jesus provoke you to consider such things in your own heart? Do you quietly or even openly reject some or all of those other denominational teachings and beliefs by those other churches just because their beliefs are not what we've been brought up to believe? It's a question that you and I need to ask ourselves individually. Now, please understand, I don't mean to imply that we should put an automatic rubber stamp of approval on all the things that take place within the beliefs and the practices of all churches. Not at all. Not at all. I know full well that some of the beliefs and practices taking place within even some of our most popular of mainline denominations are very wrong and actually coming straight out of the pit of hell. But that will always be. That will always be throughout all the churches and throughout everything that we'll ever do throughout this world. It's true for us now, and it was true in the days of the Lord Jesus. And Jesus was not putting an automatic rubber stamp of approval on all the things that were taking place in his day. He knew well that he lived within a crooked and perverse generation. And he said so. He told us that. And you and I know that we also live within a crooked and perverse generation. And many of those crooked and perverse people attend and have some control over the beliefs and the practices that take place within their churches. And even worse, that crookedness and perversity extends on out from just their church into their whole denominations. We see that taking place daily. But listen... That does not negate the truth that there are still many faithful believers worshiping and serving within those churches and within those denominations. And it also does not mean that just because some people might get caught up in wrong practices that they are also unsaved. And it does not mean that if saved people get caught up practicing wrong doctrines and beliefs, that they will somehow become unsaved. That cannot happen. Once a person is saved, they cannot become unsaved. Here in this passage, in addressing the harsh response of his disciples towards people outside of their specific group of believers, Jesus was telling them, as he's telling you and me now, that responses such as these are really systematic of a much deeper problem within their own hearts, within our own hearts. And it's the problem of sin. And specifically, it's the sin of pride. The very same sin that Jesus had just moments before, in the verses just preceding these, he had rebuked his disciples when they were arguing about which of them would be the greatest 
in the kingdom of God when Jesus brought his majestic kingdom into being on the earth. Listen to these words and note how the disciples' rejection of this man who was casting out demons is born out of the very same sin as their prideful desire to be the greatest in God's kingdom. Listen to these words, beginning in verse 46 of chapter 9. An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For he who is least among you all, he is the greatest. And then the very next words, the very next words, Master, said John, we saw a man casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he's not one of us. Jesus said, do not stop him. For whoever is not against you is for you. You wonder, did they not listen? Could they not hear his first words? No sooner had he rebuked them for the first matter of pride than they stepped on forward with a second sinful pretense of pride. With their response, the disciples revealed that they had a very high opinion of themselves and of their newfound beliefs. And their words also revealed that they still had a very limited understanding of the real mission that Jesus was calling them all to carry on forward. They were not yet able to grasp this concept that as other ordinary men would be brought to salvation, then those new believers would in turn themselves go out and preach and teach the gospel. These disciples didn't seem to understand that the very man that they were rejecting was probably one whom Jesus or even one of them perhaps had preached to on one of their earlier mission journeys. And now in response to his salvation, this man was answering the special call from God to go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. And that's what the man was doing. And they rejected him because of it. And also these disciples would later on go out themselves into the world and each of them would do as this stranger was doing. They would carry forward the gospel that Jesus had begun. For the moment, though, they were still too narrow-minded and they needed a spirit-filled examination of their own souls. I do believe, folks, that the same is true for you and me. Again, the reason that God puts these scriptures in front of you and me is to allow the Holy Spirit the opportunity to reach in and to examine our souls. And we need to let him do that. Because just as it was with these confused disciples, you and I do let pride seep into our own beliefs. So then, Jesus' response here to his disciples is also a response to you and me about our own beliefs. He's telling you and me that yes, there truly are other believers besides us spread throughout those other churches. And just because they believe some things differently from us does not make them unsaved or unworthy of God's blessings. And please do understand that these words do not imply that we should put an automatic rubber stamp of approval on all those things that take place in those other churches. Not at all. As I said a moment ago, 
some of those beliefs and practices that are taking place in those other churches come straight out of the pit of hell. But these words, these words that the Lord Jesus is saying here to us, they do imply that God's people, whether they be charismatic, whether they be Methodist, Baptist, or one of those other many denominational church groups, if they believe and they confess and they hold to the same basic truths of the gospel, they're probably acceptable to God. They are probably acceptable to God and should be to us also. And folks, listen, God is clear in his definition of who's acceptable in his sight. He doesn't leave us with any doubt. He gives us the definition of who's acceptable in his sight in Romans chapter 10. He tells us there, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. And it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Folks, that's a requirement to be acceptable in God's sight. No matter what church or church denomination that you're attending. God really does have a holy, universal, invisible church. And it's widespread and it's carrying forth his gospel to every nation. And you and I need to surrender up our pride each day and commit ourselves to accepting many of those other brothers and sisters in Christ that he has invited into his service throughout the world, but are not just part of our denomination, not just part of our doctrinal beliefs. And as Jesus reminded us here in these words, he who is not against us is for us. And so for us, the exact same should be able to be said about those other believers in other churches. We must not be against them. We must be for them. And praise be to God. Listen to these words and we'll close. Now John answered and said, Master, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we forbade him because he does not follow with us. But Jesus said to him, Do not forbid him. For he who is not against us is for us. Let's pray.